anxiety hacks, proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Listen with therapist and author Kate Hudson-Hall as she chats with professionals who share with us excellent ways to calm your anxious behaviours. For more help to relieve your anxiety, check out her exceptional book, Anxiety Hacks, on Amazon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Anxiety Hacks. I'm your host, Kate Hudson-Hall, and thank you to everybody for listening. Now, do you struggle with anxiety? I know I have done on and off since the age of five. And it's just, oh, it's so debilitating. So this is a platform for us all to learn and to share our difficult journeys and then um, how we have worked with our anxiety to be able to reduce it. Um, And we also talk to people, professionals who work with people who um, work with their clients, with their difficulties, with anxiety. So I'm very excited that you're here listening to us. And I just want to mention that my new book has just launched. It's called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calmness. So in the book, obviously, I teach lots of the techniques I have worked with my clients over the last 22 years that um, help them with their anxiety, and then different tools and different ways um, and tips. So if you're interested, the book is available now on Amazon. So go check it out. It's called Anxiety Hacks. Now, our guest today, our fabulous guest, is Stephanie Bonasta. Stephanie Michelle is a binge eating and body image coach who helps women with anxiety recover from a disordered relationship with food and their bodies. Stephanie is a certified coach, occupational therapist, and a somatic experiencing practitioner in training with a lived experience of anxiety and depression for over 20 years. With a focus on nervous system regulation, Stephanie helps women understand and work with their anxiety slowly and over time using tools and techniques from a multidisciplinary approach. And she joins us today to share her journey with anxiety and the powerful ways that work with her clients to be able to reduce their anxiety so welcome so much thank you for joining us Stephanie thank you thank you for having me it's great to have you here so now should we begin with uh, with your eating disorder and your anxiety um, mm. and how you know how difficult it was for you yeah so I developed my eating disorder and my anxiety and depression all kind of came down upon me at once when I was around 15. I I, rem- I think I had anxiety before that, but I didn't know. We didn't have, a, there was no name for it and my parents didn't un- understand it as such. So looking back, I can see that, but I really felt it get, um, it came a lot to the forefront when I was around 15. Right. I think this onset of hormones sort of brought about, and a lot of changes in my life at the time um, happened. And so for me, anxiety was, very much a part of my disordered relationship with food because they were so intertwined and my body image. Uh, And so 
I I didn't I didn't have language for this. I didn't have an understanding of what was happening to me. I really thought of it as a character flaw. I thought that this was just part of who I was, that I was just someone who thought too much and was too sensitive. Um, and of course, how that spilled over into my eating disorder. And so for 25 years, I I, I sought treatment and I, I worked with a lot of therapists around this. Uh, and it bounced back and forth for me between different eating disorders and anxiety versus depression, sometimes one or the other very pro- predominantly, sometimes interacting and playing off of one another, uh, and sometimes both at the same time. Uh, and it wasn't until my 30s that I started to, late 30s actually, be, I, when I recovered with, from my eating disorder, that I started to understand how that had, had worked with my anxiety and how that the two had really complemented each other. And I started to untangle them. Yeah. And that's and now, what it's like. It's sort of in, interwoven, isn't it? When you have an eating Yeah. Oh, absolutely. One feels the other. Yeah. It's hard to know chicken or egg. But um, I always thought if I if I don't have my eating disorder, I won't have anxiety. I thought that that was kind of the reason for it. And lo and behold, <laughs> when I when I recovered from my eating disorder, which has been about four years ago now, uh, my anxiety remained, just took a different shape. So I started to look more at that and and try to figure out that was kind of like my next my next endeavor. Like, how do I how do I manage this better if the eating disorder wasn't really responsible for all of it? Certainly, it may helped it. It, it got I got better but it was very much still alive. And so I started to investigate different ways that um, for myself and also for clients that I was working with uh, to to manage it and to have more influence on it. And so that led me to my work with the nervous system um, and somatic re- somatic experiencing, which is a different way of approaching it through the body as opposed to just the mind. Yeah, so tell us about that. So, yeah, so tell us, yeah. yeah, explain that so the listeners can understand. Yeah. Well, I, for so many people with anxiety, right, we're very cerebral and there's a lot going on in our heads. Um, and so I would prefer to stay there. That's where intellectually, that's where I, I, I feel most comfortable. So that's yeah. always how I thought about anxiety is just like tempering my thoughts and cognitive behavioral therapy and DBT and all these things did help to a degree. But I felt that there was a what it was, was this felt sense of fear that would get activated um, from uh, in my body, really. But I was very disconnected from that. And so as an occupational therapist, we work with kids primarily around anxiety, less so adults. Adults occupational therapy is more focused on like uh, rehabilitation of a hip injury or, um, you know, like it's physical rehabilitation. With kids, though, um, there's extensive training on regulating a child's nervous system, which anxiety is is very much a part of, um, especially in neurodivergent populations, through techniques like sensory um, it's sensory regulation, so joint compression, meaning um, putting input through the joints, um, soft soothing touch, sound, using basically your five senses to calm and provide the body with a sense of safety that it that it be, you know more so than just the 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 thoughts of safety, but the actual feeling of like calming a system down and slowing it down so that it feels safe. And there's so many different ways to do that. And with different kids, you see how, you know, what works for one child will not work with for the other. And it's very individualistic. And I thought to my, you know, as an OT, I was always thinking, why don't we do this for adults? Like, this is something I need. And I felt that. 
Yeah, yeah. So that was that was earlier. And then um, somatic, what somatic experiencing does and how I've combined the two is to tap into the physical sensations of anxiety and how that um, presents in the body in real time. And then it's this very, very, very slow um, dance of starting to pay attention to that in such a way that we're not over triggering it. Um, but we're starting to tend to what it feels like. And so there's a variety of techniques that really overlap with that OT lens um, of of actually just finding that sense of calm that has nothing to do with your thoughts, actually, that has more to do with a, a nervous system that gets hyper aroused easily and sort of like perceives threats that aren't necessarily there or that are not not to the same degree as as they may be in reality as they are in our felt sense. Yeah, yeah. And so what sort of um, techniques do you use? Oh, where do we start and how, how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> so for assist, so there's different ways of going about this. So one of the most basic ways um, of doing this is called orienting. So orienting is sort of taking in your environment through your eyes. Typically, it's through your vision or th- it could also be through the sense of touch or sound. Um, to so so you know how well a dog, for example, I have a dog and I see him do this a lot, uh, or any kind of animal really, uh, will kind of enter a room and sniff, start start smelling all around it, and th- their primary sense is their smell. So they're yeah. they're they're there's check it out, they scope it out, and they'll do that, and that's their sense of orienting to the space. So basically, this is how um animals learn. Like this is where I am, this is my present moment, and let me make sure that it's safe here. Uh, let me get to know it. Let me, you know, smell all the smells. And so as humans, we've just kind of checked out from using our senses so much because I think that we really do use our, our minds a lot more. So orienting can be, and my preferred way of doing it is um, through sight. So is just um, when we notice that we're, our minds are going, 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 really spinning, to sort of notice that that is happening. And I really feel that as a felt sense of, of um chaos kind of in my in my in my headspace um and i picture that i picture it like uh like little ping pong balls that are just going all around and i notice it and i'm like okay when i when i feel that happening it's like okay it's time to orient so what i do is i sort of sit back and i slow down the way that i just slow down my talking a little bit um in my head i start to slow that down i start to look around um and notice the the blue on the wall and the window and what's through the window and the leaves sort of moving really subtly in the wind. I'll turn my attention to the other side and notice the door to my kitchen um, and what's going through, what I can see through the door, what I can see closer up, the things on my desk, the ceiling, the floor, the clothes that I'm wearing. And you just sort of, in a generalized sort of way, just sort of pan the the room to notice what's around you and just yeah. p- kind of paying attention to the details of it and as you do that it sounds really like I when I first learned of this it didn't actually even really work for me but the more that you do this the more you notice that you have to slow down to pay attention to what's around and as you look around provided that your environment really is calm and safe that your body actually takes in the information of safety just from what it's seeing outside of your thoughts so it's not like you're thinking oh, no, everything's actually fine. There's no real threat here. It's your body that's actually experiencing the lack of threat, unless there really is one around you, of course, in which it's a different scenario. But 
And your body will just sort of do, my body will do an, give me an involuntary sigh like that to sort of just say, I've taken in this information around me and it's okay. I'm not in any danger right now. And just by doing that for a few minutes, if that's all you can manage at a time, which is all I could, I could only do it for like 20 seconds at a time in the beginning. There is something that even just now, as I did that happened to me, um, there is not that 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 fluttering in my chest or or that you know the the lightness in my stomach it's sort of a grounded feeling and everything just feels slower and i feel like i can see more yeah and it, and you're also bringing yourself out of your head and listening to your thoughts mm-hmm. aren't you by you know bringing yourself outside and paying your paying attention to you know the present moment and what's actually going on in the yeah. here and now. yeah because with anxiety you know the thoughts are rushing around so much that it feels like you're not really seeing you're not really there <laughs> you're just you're in your head you're not in your mo in your environment so much and you could really bypass I, i'll notice when i do this orienting things around me that i i completely missed um and all of a sudden you start to see more of it and you're like oh <laughs> there's that thing i've been looking for um but you, you you start to just be more present in your environment and i just notice this effect of slowing down and that's regulating your nervous system essentially and you can feel that happening Yes. So for anyone, you know, who has anxiety knows it, it's this fury in the nervous system. It's like a, it's a fear. It's a fight or flight. And what this, what orienting does is it takes you out of fight or flight and brings you down to what the, you know, ventral vagal in the nervous system, in nervous system speak. And it's this, this sense of feeling safe, connected, in control, sort of more access to all the parts of your brain instead of just staying so primal. Um, and it's a really powerful way that I, I initiate people into somatic practices um, because it's one of the most basic and we can do it at any time. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's a, that, that's a great tool for people to be able to start to, to calm themselves. Yeah. Um, and what other techniques do you, do you work with? Uh, so that's, that one um, is is using a pretty basic sense, right? So, but I also find touch to be um, really powerful, and also pressure. So, um, I think depending on the variation of anxiety you have, my anxiety always leaned more to anger. So I know sometimes I think that we can veer more to sadness and withdrawal. Um, I had more of a fight or flight, a really present sense of fight or flight that would 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 render me really defensive and angry. So when I'm when I'm anxious, I know this because I um I'm 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 a little snappier with like with my children. I I just have less patience. I feel frustrated. I like I'll I'll feel like this internal sense of anger that I'm not even really sure where it comes from. I'm not particularly angry at anything. It just feels like it's there. Yes, so yes. for for angry type anxiety, um, touch and pressure is really, really uh, empowering to me. And again, for someone else who maybe doesn't lean towards that angry place, or if you do, but there's just more sensitivities, and this will vary depending on histories of trauma and just own personal stories, um, sometimes touch and pressure can be actually more activating. So this is something I want to say that if you experiment with something and it doesn't feel good, not to do it. It doesn't mean this is a one size fits all and there's other techniques to use. Um, but for for angry type anxiety, um, one thing that I really love to do is to get deep pressure into my joints. And this is something, again, we would do with kids. And this can show up as um, like a wall push up or even a floor push up. I, I'm terrible. <laughs> I don't have much upper body strength. So a floor <laughs> push up, I just have to do one and I'm good. Um, but sometimes you can get it, do it against a wall as well. And the idea is to 
get that pressure through your elbow joint, your shoulder joint, and even your wrist joint. If you have injury, of course, there's modifications. But sustained, holding that sustained pressure, for example, if you did a plank on the on the ground and you felt that pressure coming through your upper body and sustained it for a long enough period of time to almost exhaustion. Yeah. There's input getting into those joints that actually communicate back to the brain um, regulation. And so what I will do, and I've had clients do this in sessions, is when I notice their anxiety coming up and they're talking faster and they're getting upset, we'll stop and say, and not even talk about the, the content of the anxiety anymore and just say, let's get on the floor and do a plank or a push-up or a wall push-up. And I have them do it until their muscles just can't anymore. Just kind of, can't, it's it's exhausts the muscles. And when they come back to the screen, they kind of just sit there like what, without much to say. It's like all of that, all of the content and the, and the fury of the thoughts somehow lift. And there's this sense of being grounded in the body. And there's a sense of calm that sort of overrides all that worry and all that story making that was going on. And just because it, it brings back a part of your brain back online that we didn't have access to in the throes of anxiety. And so, um, push-ups, uh, wall push-ups, as I said, you can even do that by clenching. So um, kind of taking your whole body and um, and I've done this in the car too. <laughs> I don't know how safe it is, but it's, it's it hasn't been a problem so far. Um, just sort of like clenching my entire, like every muscle in my upper body really and holding it, holding it, holding it for about, well, I, I don't know, it varies for me. I hold it about 10 seconds or as long as I, unless, until I reach like this peak and then just relax it all. Yeah. And then really letting go. Let it go. Yeah. And you can do that multiple times. But the purpose of that, because, I mean, this is something that maybe we'll read about these kinds of things on online. But the reason that it works is because it's actually putting, it's giving that proprioceptive input to your body, to your joints and to your muscles. And that proprioception, once again, is a way that our body orients to where we are. And so it's it's telling us, I am here. I am here. Here is my body. I can feel it. I can feel its boundaries. I can feel where, and it forces us present. And it also gives that energy a, a place to expend itself because the energy will otherwise circulate in the mind. That hyperactivity, you know, in the mind gives it actual somewhere to go, like that fight or flight feeling, the fight or flight of, you know, which is anxiety is like mobilizing us to move, to act. And meanwhile, we just keep it in our heads. But this is giving it a place to actually move the energy because energy doesn't die. Yeah. So it needs to get expelled. So, again, those these kinds of things can help. It's not a cure. It's not like, oh, now I'm not anxious anymore. But it gives it gives you a window into being able to have a little bit more influence over your state in yeah. a given moment. Yeah. So it's giving you a bit more control, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And, and giving you, you know, great tools to be able to, you know, to work with that. You know, but like I said before, get yourself out of your head and get yourself focused in the body. Yeah. 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 And um, what other therapies do you find work with your clients in different ways? So I'm always, a f I mean, I, I am a fan of talk, <laughs> talk therapy and um, digging deeper about, you know, the whys and also um, part and parcel of somatic work is, is trauma. So um, working on the things in our past. And again, these don't have to be uh quote unquote, um, like stereotypical traumatic experiences, but just the way that our bodies experienced something that was emotionally too overwhelming at the time for us to be able to deal with. So they may, it might not seem like a, a trauma, a traumatic event. And I'm careful not to, um, 
overgeneralize that word because uh, big T trauma is um, is a, is a is a category in and of itself. But many people I find with anxiety have histories of trauma, whether that is capital T or lowercase T. And so, getting at um, that 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 healing through a combination of approaches. So yes, talk therapy, but also through the body and the nervous system because I find them to be so different. And cognitive behavioral and DBT all work together to um, help temper the 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 way that the mind can catastrophize. And it you know it really we can watch that and taking that mindfulness approach of being able to see our thoughts and not identify with them, not over-identify with them, and to just become observers of the thought. I'm a big advocate of um, of mindfulness and also of self-talk and changing self-talk, because that's that's another way through my body image and um, eating disorder recovery. That was the first doorway in for me, uh, was noticing the way I was really talking to myself and how that was influencing my anxiety, because I was always feeling like there was someone reprimanding me all day long and oh, so yes. you know yeah. <laughs> how does that feel you I know that's so going to put your guard up to that <laughs> oh yeah um so self-talk is is huge and that mindfulness piece around self-talk as well as um looking at some of some of the way that the past and processing some of the past uh and how that's impacting our present as a coach that's more what i do is not necessarily dive into the past and stay there as a you know it's a it's more of a how is that affecting your present and how is that showing up in your nervous system now and how do we have more control over that yeah yeah and have there been you know any recommendations of books that you would recommend Mm. the listeners yes so um the body keeps the score uh, by Bessel van der Kolk is uh, an excellent, it's long, <laughs> it's a pretty in-depth book, but it's a, a great introduction into how our bodies can actually store anxiety, really. Um, it's it's the stored experiences of the stored memories that we have that sometimes don't feel resolved. And so they sort of live in the body and get stuck there. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a fantastic book. Um, Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine. Anything by Peter Levine is good. And Gabor Mate, who these are all um, yeah. trauma, you know, healers. And um, those are kind of my go-tos for that. Um, yeah. And so, Stephanie, so is there anything else that you wanted to share with with the listeners? You know, um, yeah, that this work, particularly around nervous system tools and techniques, is really slow. So it's not sometimes that can feel a bit discouraging because it feels like you're going through these the motions of this and it's not necessarily helping right in that moment. But over t- it's one of those things that over time you look back and if you've practiced this and, and it just takes I remember the first time I did anything like this, the the person I was working with and training with said if if you only can do this for two seconds, which is some people's tolerance for it, um, before you feel anxious again and need to need to keep thinking, that's fine. You start at two seconds a day. And I did. <laughs> um, and over time, and the, the steady integration of this over time, actually, I, I when you look back and you realize, wow, like there's things I'm having more, I'm reacting differently. I'm still being triggered and I'm still moving into to anxiety. And that's that, that seems very fully there. But the way that the aftermath of that looks is different. I'm not staying in it as long right. or I'm not, you know, my thoughts aren't perseverating as long. And there's there's more influence you have in those those after moments because I still get triggered like 
you know, pretty, pretty, you know, when something happens, I, I move into anxiety. It's like my go-to response. Yeah. But there's much more influence I have over time. And so it's, this is a, this is a, a long, a long haul effort <laughs> um, as far as regulating a system. Yeah. And I think it is. And, and like you said in the beginning, it's finding what works for you um, and, uh, you know, and then progressing forward with that. But of course, talking therapy is, you know, hugely important as well. But yes. it's having the different, you know, different ways to be able to have and use to go down to be able to to work with your anxiety. Yes. Oh, Stephanie, this has been so insightful, so helpful for people. I know it has. So tell us, um, how can people find you? So my website is IamStephanieMichelle.com, and I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and now a little bit of t- TikTok. <laughs> um, so you can find me there and you can email me or reach out on social media. Yeah. And so do you work with your clients uh, uh, face-to-face and um, online? It's all virtual. So I do one-to-one in groups. Excellent. And the groups, the accessibility to the groups. That's, that'll all be on your website, would it? Yes, all of my information is on my website. And there's lots of free content on social media around all of this. Oh, yeah, good, good, excellent. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing all of this, you know, valuable information. So helpful. You're welcome. Thank you. So that's all for today's episode of Anxiety Hacks. And thank you to everybody for listening. And before we go, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes so you never miss an episode. And then, of course, let us know what you think of the of the show. Um, And and we look forward to chatting with you again in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Anxiety Hacks, the podcast. If you've been affected by anything discussed in this presentation and would like further information, please go to katehudson-hall.com. That's katehudson-hall.com.